So we begin it, we're beginning today our, our bioethics class. Although, as the PPF says, there's a good chance that I may petition that this is changed to healthcare ethics. So the PPF, which I can incorporate now that we have it, paragraph 333 says this is 331, 332, and 333 and following are the paragraphs that describe moral theology. This one talks about bioethics or healthcare ethics. The importance of a clear grasp of the principles of healthcare ethics cannot be overestimated for the future priest in the contemporary culture. Special attention during this preparation should be given to the fundamental respect for human life from conception to natural death and to the moral evils of and pastoral means of addressing contraception, in vitro fertilization, abortion, abortion and euthanasia. So we're going to cover those things plus a lot more. Last semester, or last year when I did this, I brought in a lot of guest speakers. We will still have a few guest speakers, but not nearly as much, because some of them, they communicate a lot of great information, um, but the guys found that they just strangely preferred me talking. So <laughs> this is what we're going to do. We're going to have a few guest speakers, but it, it really was wonderful to hear that. So we're, gonna, we're basically dividing the course into four categories. As you probably saw the syllabus, you'll see I have it all written out, the different topics we're going to cover. The first will be basically sort of anthropological and ethical considerations going over basic principles, as you'll see sort of philosophy today and Friday, next week, going over the ethical and religious directives. Y'all are going to have to know those. Um, going over principles like the principle of double effect, uh, autonomy, conscience, and things of that sort. And we're going to, last class is going to be, and I uploaded the reading yesterday, on the moral status of the human person. One of the things that I really want to do, y'all, and, and I don't know exactly how to execute this, one of the, re the big, if you read the Ratzinger reading, that the main principle behind bioethics is the dignity of the human person. Well, we will say, well, why do humans have dignity? We know that. Well, we learned it last year. We have created the image and likeness of God, have an intellect and a will, a body and a soul. And this is our argument. But when you're faced with people who are not Christian and not Catholic, you just can't beat them over the head with it. Um, and what I think I found in speaking to some people who went to CPE last summer, they knew the Catholic teaching, but they couldn't really explain it or defend it in the face of secular bioethical arguments. And so I have a chapter from, which is sort of the definitive secular bioethical textbook, on the moral status of the human person. So we're going to see secular, you may disagree with it, but it's a secular argument. Uh, we know why the humans have dignity. We're not going to get into that as much, but reading that and trying to pick it apart and to see how we would address it. I particularly want to do that when we get to abortion and euthanasia. Uh, we're seeing more and more push for euthanasia. How do we understand the secular argument and how do we enter into dialogue with it rather than just say, don't kill grandma. Jesus doesn't want you to kill grandma. We know that. But, but there are a lot of people who think you should, or that they have the right to die. What is the, the secular wording? What is the secular argumentation? And how we're going to dialogue with that. So the next section, which will be a big section at the beginning of life, we're going to look at artificial reproductive technologies. We're going to look at gene editing. 
pregnancy complications? Should we be having so many C-sections? Uh, all of these different questions, and I'm going to try to give it a pastoral dimension, things that you may encounter as a priest. One of the things I realized last semester is there's all this stuff about pregnancy and neonatal ethics that is never discussed, but you're going to encounter that a lot. The third section will be during the lifespan. We're going to discuss everything from body modification to opioid addiction to uh, healthcare, Catholic healthcare ethics, ethics committees, and different things like that. It's going to be a very broad spectrum of things, but we're going to kind of go through the lifespan. And then finally, ending on end of life issues, including a class on how to have difficult discussions. Whenever you have to go in with the doctor, after the doctor, to tell somebody that their, their child is dead or they're not going to make it. How, how do you do that from a pastoral perspective? So we're going to try our best to do that. I talked to Father Kraft and he said that that's not a lot of the times we don't get into those types of discussions. I'm going to do my best to be as comprehensive as possible and to give as brief of an introduction to each class as I can, assuming you've done the readings, and then go into sort of discussions. And we, I think, have built up enough of a rapport uh, that we should be able to do that. Like I said, I want everyone to participate. Uh, I am in my mind recording who is, going, who is talking, who is engaging, who is staring into space. Uh, that will be what your participation grade will be judged upon. The two main resources, most of it is going to come from the Catholic Healthcare Ethics book. Is Amazon struggling to get this? Then get it off the NCBC site. They have copies of it. You can get an EPUB that you can read on your Kindle. Uh, don't get the earlier editions. Get the 2020 third edition. You're going to waste your money getting the old stuff. Because they have maybe, you know, five, ten page chapters on each of the different issues in here. And that's most of what the reading is going to be. A very, very basic introduction. Father Austriaco who taught a couple of the classes last semester and did a fantastic job, I may ask him to come back and do it again this year, uh, has the Biomedicine and Beatitude, which there'll be some articles on that, often supplementing these, but it's a great uh, textbook. It's going to be crucial for you to read um, the Vatican documents, and I have posted most of them, even though I like dump both of them on you at the same time, you're going to have to read it. Donum Vitae, Dignitatis Personae for beginning of life issues. Uh, Evangelium Vitae, um, which deals with abortion, uh, euthanasia, but also very, very important, and particularly for the end of class, Samaritanus Bonus, uh, the Good Samaritan, which is the CDF document from about a year and a half ago which deals very detailed uh, with end-of-life uh, issues, pastoral issues, things of that sort. Please read these. We're going to read the, the Declaration on Abortion, uh, Euthanasia, the USCCB Ethical and Religious Directives. We talked about other videos and whatnot. But here's the most important thing. The National Catholic Bioethics Center is your resource for all things bioethics. Uh, there is a plethora of resources uh, that they have there. 
And one of the things, fellows, when y'all get ordained and you face, I'm gonna, you're going to hear me repeat this a billion times in class, you're going to face a question that you don't know or you think you know, but you're not sure, that you're 95% sure you know, but they're 5% you want to make sure, feel free to contact them. Refer other people to them. They will give you free consults, particularly to priests. Also, if there's one of these questions, feel free to call me, Father Champagne, some other priest that you know, just to get a second opinion. Because you don't want to be an idiot and give an opinion and someone dies and has a guilty conscience for the rest of the life because they killed grandma because you did not do your research. All right? Uh, and if you come to me with a question and I don't know it, I will call Father Tad. Father Tad, who Paul Czech and I are classmates and very, very good friends, um, he may come do a class too. He, he was fantastic. The, re the answers are out there. Some of it is not going to be black and white. They're very difficult decisions. But prudence demands that you seek counsel even if you are 98% sure that you know the answer to the question. Is that good? And, and refer lay people to them. They are happy to do it. It is an unbelievable resource that we have that I really think more parishes and priests ought to be taken advantage of. So, you know, similar to the last semester, but as I said, we're going to have some guest speakers, hopefully some shorter lessons, not today, lectures, not today, more discussion, and I ask you just to to think about these these issues deeply. There are going to be some of them that they're not clear answers to. Um, the, the future of bioethics, when we get into gene editing, when we get into, you know, how do you handle politically the fact that Iceland has aborted all of their Down syndrome babies? And there are a lot of people who think this is a really great thing. You know, how do we deal with disabilities? How do we uh, administer drugs? Um, because there's just so the, the, our, bioethics passes into social justice in a lot of ways, and hopefully Father Kelly will address some of that with you. But I want to at least bring up some of those those more those broader issues. Do you have any questions before we launch into it? The first two lessons that I really want to to focus on. This is going to be mostly philosophical and drawing from a lot of what we've discussed before. I want to talk about techne, ethos, and bios, or you could call it anthropos. This is my fancy way of putting it. Technology, ethics, and the human person, and biological life. Because bioethics as a, as a, a course, as a means of study, you could say, yeah, fine, it's going back many centuries, but it really has been within, let's say, the past 100 years as science and technology have advanced to the point where a lot of these things that we're discussing, painkillers, genetics, uh, abortion, contraception, IVF, they didn't have that 100 years ago. Most of it they didn't have 50 years ago. And so it's pushing the boundaries where we're having to address real issues that maybe were never really faced before. So I, I want to start off with a big picture, though, and building off of last semester's discussion and the previous semester's discussion about the two different worldviews, uh, where the secular worldview is the nihilistic worldview, as we've talked about, where there's no metaphysics, 
no God, no access to the spiritual. Morality is relative. It's the post-modern, post-structuralist doubt and the human mind's ability to know the truth, to perceive the truth, versus the sacramental worldview, where we see creation as a gift, where we see God revealing himself through creation, and that creation, particularly human body, has a meaning that can be discerned through human reason. We've looked at the philosophical roots, but we also briefly looked at, and we didn't do a lot of it because I wanted to wait until this class, to look at the impact of technology and scientism. We're going to define what exactly that means. Particularly the impact it's had on thinking and our perception of the world since the Enlightenment. It is very reductionistic, often anti-metaphysical thinking, uh, empirically based, uh, based on the scientific method. If it cannot be empirically proven or demonstrated or tested, then it doesn't exist. And it produces a type of understanding of the world, but as a result of that, this techne impacts the way we see ethics and also impacts the way we see the human person. Now, as Catholics, we're going to push against this, but they are philosophical and ethical discussions that we need to have. And so, because all of these three things here impact bioethics, impact healthcare ethics, how we understand technology, how we understand the ethics and, and right and wrong, and how we understand the human person, our anthropology. And they all, sort of like those concentric circles we talked about, flow into and impact one another. We'll begin with a very few brief comments on faith and science, and this is stuff that you know already. We, as Catholics, believe that faith is compatible with science. They're not diametrically opposed. You know, because science. Yeah, great. Because science, because faith. We can make the two work together. We're not, a po we're not fundamentalists. None of us here are sola scriptura. We believe that we can understand and have faith and it can be reconciled with the truths of science and technology. Now, have there been problems in the past? Yeah, but often those problems are not exactly what people think they are, um, but we need to be able to move the ball forward in this. And I think Bishop Barron, Father Spitzer, uh, the McGrath Institute at Notre Dame have done, not our Notre Dame, but big Notre Dame, have done a wonderful job of trying to promote this. So technology, so not only are technology, we're not opposed to technology and science, they are not bad in and of themselves, particularly technology and science. They produce tremendous goods, air conditioning, travel, medicine, engineering. But this is the point that I want to make, and it's made in other areas, and if you've done some of the reading, you'll see it. I'm not a Luddite. None of us are Luddites in the sense that we reject technology. While technology is not bad in and of itself, it is not necessarily neutral, all right? Technology, and again, I'm, I'm defining this in a very broad sense of techne, of the know-how of machines, computers, screens, engineering, it's not necessarily neutral. 
taking it and mixing it with a nihilistic, reductionistic worldview can produce ways of thinking, seeing, and approaching reality that are contrary to the faith. And we're going to look at that. Let's look, though, at the, sort of this technology and epistemology of how the rise of technology, of machines, of computers, of this technical know-how that we have, which has produced a lot of good, can and has impacted our, our, our epistemology. It's something that John Paul II in Fetus at Ratio calls scientism, not science but scientism. So we're going to look at fetus at ratio 88. This is another threat to be reckoned with is scientism. That is the philosophical notion which refuses to admit the validity of forms of knowledge other than those of the positive sciences. And it relegates religious, theological, ethical, and aesthetic knowledge to the realm of mere fantasy. In the past, the same idea emerged as positivism and neopositivism, which considered metaphysical statements to be meaningless. Critical epistemology has discredited such a claim, but now we see it revived in the new guise of scientism, which dismisses values as mere products of the emotions, emotivism, and rejects the notion of being in order to clear the way for pure and simple facticity. Science, though, uh, science would thus be poised to dominate all aspects of human life through technological progress. It's a question of what progress is. The undeniable triumph of scientific research and contemporary technology have helped to uh, propagate a scientific outlook which now seems boundless, given its inroads into different cultures and the radical changes it has brought. So everything is reduced to that which is practical, which can be analyzed through the empirical sciences. It produces a mindset and a way of viewing the world. But along with the technological progress that comes with that, advances of machines that help us control the world around us, it gives way to what Pope Francis and Pope Benedict calls the technocratic paradigm. Keep this in mind. This would be something really great for y'all to put into your, uh, your homilies in case this is what you get. And the little uh, roll we're going to have. So this is in Laudato C106. The paradigm, this paradigm exalts the concept of a subject who, using logical and rational procedures, progressively approaches and gains control over an external object. The subject makes every effort to establish the scientific and experimental method, which is in itself already a technique of possession, mastery, and transformation. So you could say, like, science gives you the know-how. This technological paradigm is control, we're going to see this big time, over an object. An object being the dirt, the, the, the genetic, the genome, your body, whatever it is. So what happens is reality 
becomes an object to be manipulated, controlled, mastered, and transformed, rather than something infused with a mystery to be perceived and received. doesn't mean that we can't control nature. We need to be able to control nature. We've been given dominion over nature. I'm not denying that. But it's the outlook. It's how we're doing it. Rather than, this is the beautiful mystery. We're stewards of creation. We are going to dominate it. And this technocratic paradigm gives us this false illusion that we can and should have control over all things. This desire to control and dominate nature. Yes. Do you have the, the section of the Yeah, it's uh, paragraph 106. And the, the whole, there's a whole, it comes from the little reading that I gave you all to do for this section. We talked about the technocratic paradigm and connected to just its impact on the environment and social justice. So this again, we, we know, we probably, hopefully you all learned this. Which philosopher do we go back to uh, with the rise of the scientific revolution, uh, the enlightenment and the desire to control nature? It's something we have, you encounter every Tuesday and Thursday. Bacon, Francis Bacon, every Tuesday and Thursday. Look at that. The Baconian desire to control nature. But you could have the desire 200, 300 years ago to control nature, but you didn't necessarily have the means to control nature. And granted, the fact that we have big dump trucks and cranes and all this have given us a lot of control over nature, but now as we're going to see with gene editing, we have control over the genome. And what does it mean editing a sperm cell? What does it mean editing your child before it's implanted into the womb? What does that, what kind of control does that mean? So all of this is this idea of control, but what is the one word that should just jump out at you, that this is all about one specific thing? Control? Control, yes, it is. Well, you said that. True. There's another word. Okay, we're going to get, yeah, it is, ultimately, but you're jumping ahead until next time. So just <laughs> look at that. True but. Yes, but. But it's about power. I mean, it's all about power. You could also say it's about progress. Well, what is progress? They what is time progress. Yeah, but we could say that. We, but it's about power. Not just machines. Now, this is, if you read Drop a Little, it's not just about machines, but it's about technique. I mean, think of it. How much of our lives, and this is more, this is stuff we could, anybody want to drink a beer on Thursday night or later tonight, talk about this, about not just technology, but technique. We use these techniques to control so many different aspects of our lives. Not necessarily a bad thing, but we, we want everything to, to move forward, have progress, to be productive. Power becomes central. So one of the names that, even though he's Jewish, and, and I'll, but at the beginning of the 21st century, the end of the night, last century, a name that he, this guy is just unbelievable as a bioethicist, as someone who thinks deeply about 
trends and issues, uh, was on the President's Council for Bioethics. How, how many of you are familiar with this name? Leon Koss from Chicago. Oh, man. Anything you get out of your hands on by Leon Koss. You know, you've heard of Leon Koss? No. Man. <laughs> for all you people that you... Roots in the Jewish community. Yeah. <laughs> Koss has written so much... Well, we're going to talk more about the President's Council for Bioethics that Obama disbanded. Uh, Bush started it, but Obama disbanded it. So much good stuff from them. Let's see what he says. The question is not just about biotechnology, but really the march of the wider technological mentality, this technocratic paradigm. Technology is more than machinery and acquired power to change the way things are. At its root, the technological disposition believes all aspects of life can be rationally mastered through technique. So now we have techniques for solving marital problems, grief, and almost everything else. And at the end of the day, you've utterly transformed the character of human life. Eventually, the things that really matter, family life, worship, self-governance, education of the next generation become threatened unless you can subvert, submit it to some type of technique. And this is why, even though he goes to the further extreme, he's not Catholic, even though he's Christian, another name that will bring up a lot, and I really encourage you writing. Who knows, some of his reading is on the, the not the required reading, but the recommended. Barry. Barry, Wendell Barry. Go read his, that, that essay on why I refuse to buy a computer or the one about feminism and the body and the machine. Dude knows what he's talking about. Brilliant stuff. Ultimately, though, outside of these broader philosophical ideas of technique, bureaucracy, the thing is, this is all the bureaucracy we have, this is an extension of it. The expansion of government and bureaucracy is a way to control by applying certain techniques and technologies. The deep state. I'm not advocating QAnon, I'm just telling you. But all of this comes back to a temptation for man to be like God. And again, like this is the thing of it. Before the rise of science and technology and medicine, We've relied faith on faith for health, suffering, food questions. Oh my goodness, we're starving. God, give us rain. Well, we control the environment where we grow food. Oh, so-and-so is sick. We're going to pray over them. We're going to dance with some snakes, whatever. Uh, but now, go down to CVS and get some medicine. You know, which is good. And they've all improved standard, the standard of living and the quality of life. But now what happens is, for so many of us, there's no need to depend on God. I find it fascinating, the question of practical atheism. How many of us are truly practically atheists? We say we pray, believe, pray in God, but do we really trust in him and need him? Yes? So the difference between proper dominion and tech, technism or scientism, there's got to be a switch that's deep in the human heart that's flipped. Because the irony is sometimes I find that I mean, I'm sure we're going to go for this, but even the even the pointing out of these particular technological moments as being the problem seems a bit like a technical solution to the problem of the human heart as well. I mean, I know we're going to get to this, but what's the switch that flips between good dominion and tech? I mean, what's that? 
That's a good. That's a good question. And again, that's probably something to discuss over beer. I, I, I don't. It's it's, it's kind of like like what, what is the most prudent thing to do in a certain situation? You know, what the extremes are not going to be good. But where do we find the answer? I think a lot of it is going to come from, and I'm just saying this off my head, is going to be our uh, is our worship, our worldview. Um, and how that competes and informs the way we approach reality and technology. I, we're going to discuss it more at the end of next next class because it's something that I thought about with science fiction as 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 a genre. Here you have people floating in space, but they're they're engineers and doctors. There's no priests unless you're the dark side of the force or you're a Jedi, but. I think Ray Bradbury possibly brought some religious figures into his science fiction. But how do you reconcile? The bigger question isn't like in the practical, but in general, how do you reconcile the two? Because we want technology and science, but yet we need to keep the human heart open to God. How do you do it practically? I don't know, but it's a great question. It's a great question. I'm not trying to avoid it. It's just I don't know. But what I want to do, though, is passing from just this general understanding of, of technology and scientism to, I guess, in a certain sense, the, the, the deeper part of the human heart, the ethics, the natural law, right and wrong. In a, a nihilistic worldview, ethics are dismissed or relativized or basically reduced to emotions or exercises of the will. But what happens is, in the vacuum that, that a nihilistic worldview will create, this technocratic paradigm inserts itself and begins to take over, whether we realize it or not. This is, again, Pope Francis in Laudato Si, number 110. Nor are there genuine ethical horizons to which one can appeal. Life gradually becomes a surrender to situations conditioned by technology, itself viewed as the principal key to the meaning of existence. And so, yeah, we, we don't have any ethical systems to, uh, to, 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 to depend upon. So we just, well, let's just take science. Let's take technology and what is going to be the most practical, utilitarian way of approaching the world. And so what happens is we have this move towards the ethical technological imperative. We used to say when we studied this in seminary, the basic, you know, we have the golden rule, do unto others as you have done to you. What would be the technological imperative um, that you think the golden rule would be? You're going to phrase it, yes. Do it. If it can be done, it ought to be done. If it can be done, it ought to be done. That it's sort of the ability, the potential to do it, the power to do it creates an obligation to do it. We have the power to, to break the, 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 the atom, nuclear fission. We have an obligation to do it. But you may blow up the world. We have an obligation to do it. Cloning. Embryonic research, we have the potential, IVF, we have the potential to do it. It sort of generally creates, so if you can do it, 
You have a responsibility to do it. And if you don't do it, then somehow you're a bad person. We're going to look at that, this, this argument. Why wouldn't you want the person who can't have babies to have a baby if they can do it with IVF? Why are you bringing up these ethical considerations? No, we can do it. We should do it. Michael Hanby, uh, who writes for Comunio Journal, often um, teaches at the JP2. Didn't Hanby, was Hanby here last year? No. He has this great article called American Revolution from the Comunio in 2021, fall edition. We talks a lot about this within sort of this American perspective, because America, of course, with our pragmatism, uh, it's the philosophy that we give the world, uh, has produced a lot of a lot of this technocratic paradigm because it's connected to pragmatism. With the conflation of truth and possibility power, the so-called technological imperative, that what can be done, must, and will be done is built into the very structure of reason. It's pragmatic. We don't worry about this German idealism and all these different categories. If we can do it, we got to do it. Look at how, and look how, how far we've advanced as a culture and society. All the good that's been able to be produced by talking about what can be done and dismissing any kind of metaphysical discussions. Mm-hmm. But here's the irony, and maybe y'all can, maybe I'm overstretching myself here, but this is what we came up, actually, I'm not overstretching it. The guys in Second Theology last year came up with this. That postmodernism, which denies, basically, you, that you can derive an ought from an is. Well, the, the penis is ordered towards the vagina, therefore, you ought to behave in a certain way. That's the natural law. But that's this fallacy that postmodernism says you can't do that. But yet, they do the same thing with technology. There is a sort of an ought that is created, an ethical imperative. You ought to do this. As I said, if you have the ability to cure infertility, which is seen as an evil, then you ought to do it. And we're going to get into this when we look at artificial reproductive technologies. To tell someone no or to restrict their freedom, you're not just considered, oh, you're just some weird Catholic. You're evil. If technology can alleviate harms, then we have an obligation to do it. Uh, Appeal to metaphysics or teleology to say, oh, no, you shouldn't do that. Births should come in a natural way is anachronistic and even morally reprehensible. Compare it to the the power to cure disease. You have the power to cure this disease, AIDS or cancer, and yet you choose not to do it? You're evil. But this is how it's applied in a lot of the stuff that science and technology has about dealing with fertility issues, with alleviation of suffering. Oh, we could take our own lives very easily now. Why not? Why stop them from doing it? But this is really a form of utilitarianism, pragmatism, The potential harms one might raise as arguments against will never trump the goods gained in the perspective of this technological imperative, or at least on first look. Even we could say, well, even with technology, we can overcome whatever negative consequences come as a result of cloning or or genetic modification. 
Further irony, I think, is that a lot of this is just an appeal to emotion. Look at these poor, suffering people. Why not let them do this, this here? We're appealing to our own false sense of compassion rather than appealing to reason and first principles. And of course, what, what utilitarianism is what as an ethical system? It is the ethical system of the Enlightenment. What, what, what was Bentham trying to do? What was Mill trying to do? Take, I mean, you could read, they were tagging science and making a calculus. We are going to use mathematical formulae to say, good here, bad here, let's weigh them out. That we can use science technology to produce this ethical system. But one, as we've seen, relies on the consequences and doesn't focus on the object of the act of the thing chosen, the rightness of the will, or the dignity of the human person. So the real danger, though, I guess, is in a certain sense the risk of eliminating the need of ethics. That, hey, there was an article that I read last year about this time called Does Bioethics Cause Harm? Because as we continue to break, bro broach these questions and say, should you really be doing this? Particularly as we move to genetic engineering and CRISPR, Maybe we shouldn't be doing this. Oh, wait, y'all are, y'all, you Catholics and you Christians, by bringing up these ethical questions, are stopping progress. You're delaying advances. And so we just need to be able to do whatever we need to do to move the ball down the field. But it's hard because as we continue to have these technological advances uh, and we have all this, this new energy and possibility that comes up, what Ratzinger will say in that article that I gave you to read, it sort of wears down our moral energy. I don't really have the energy to think about why we shouldn't be doing euthanasia or abortion. There are too many arguments. Why don't we just let people do what they want to do? It begins to drain our moral energy, and we just can kind of get assumed into the matrix. And, of course, from this, uh, social justice questions are going to arise. I think it brings up the question of who has the power. This is all, if this is all about power, it's not just my power over nature as an object of my body. Where does it reside? Listen to what Pope Francis says in Laudato C-107. We have to accept that technological products are not neutral, which we've already talked about. For they create a framework which ends up conditioning lifestyles and shaping social possibilities along the lines dictated by the interest of certain powerful groups. Decisions which may seem purely instrumental are in reality decisions about the kind of society we want to build. So the same thing that gives us power and control over nature gives powerful individuals power over the poor, power over others, to manipulate, to dominate. But also, all this is one of the things we're going to bring up over and over again. The ability now to purchase gametes, IVF. Can poor people afford IVF? No, they cannot. They can't. So it becomes just the realm of the rich who do this, who then are perfecting their genome, who are becoming smarter, more powerful, concentrating the power in that way. Is that really, really just? So there are social issues there. Technique as forms of social control. Economics, how much of this, the use and development technology is used simply for profit and to, to fulfill our consumer desires rather than 
really helping individuals. Pope Benedict talks about in Caritatis, Caritas and Veritate 70, the technical worldview that follows from this vision is now so dominant that truth has come to be seen as coinciding with the possible. But when the sole criterion of truth is efficiency and utility, development, authentic human development is automatically denied. True development does not consist primarily in doing. The key to development is a mind capable of thinking in technological terms and grasping the fully human meaning of human activities within the context of the holistic meaning of the individual's being. So again, it's not just like, oh, okay, well, here, this is this technique that we're going to reduce you to or your life to, but there's art cannot be subsumed to a technique. I've been doing some, uh, there's, there's this substack by this guy, I forgot his name. It's called the Convivial Society, which I think some of you would be very interested in reading. And he has this great article on AI generated art. And they, he shows these pictures of these, this recent competition of this art generated by computers and the awards that it's won. You're seeing it all over Facebook now. But is that really art? Can you reduce, can a computer do art? I and mean, these are questions of AI we're really not gonna get into. But if that's the case, then why do we need artists? Where, where does play come in? Where does uh, doing nothing come in? Where does relaxation come in if everything is reduced to a technique? But all of it though, deals with like authentic human development means more than just making money, more than just having a house. It means being perfected as a person who has a spiritual dimension. It's anthropological. And this is the question that he gets to, Ratzinger gets to, and we're gonna develop a look at in the next class. How does this technological mentality, we see how it impacts our ethics, how does it impact our vision of the human person? The dignity of the human person, who we are and who we're created to be. Are we moving into a brave new world? Are we gonna be breeding humans in bags pretty soon? Artificial wombs. How does it relate to the way that we treat each other? Doctors treat patients. Are patients now just a problem to be solved? Do we want to reduce our friendships to technique? How do we now then gain control over our body and bodies and over what we're going to call limit experiences? This is all super philosophical stuff, which is what I prefer to talk about than a lot of other things. But I know that this is not all we can and should discuss. But I, I want you all to, to understand that the fundamentally everything we're discussing sort of goes back to the way a technological mindset impacts our ethical system and our understanding of the human person. And it's something that I think needs to be talked about, needs to be reflected upon. And much further discussions about this, I'm happy to, as I said, what I really enjoyed the last semester the one time we got together for beer. Uh, if there are times this semester, once every couple of weeks, we want to do it again, even this week, if y'all want to go today or tomorrow, probably about eight o'clock. Uh, sorry, ladies, dudes only, that late. Uh, sit by, have a beer. Maybe even one day I'll be generous and buy you some beer. Yeah. I, I have no beer right now. Okay. <laughs> 
Well, you can bring your own whiskey, whatever. Uh, to be able to, to discuss these ideas, granted, we have a limited time in class. Does that sound interesting to some of y'all to do that this semester? No grades, no nothing. Anybody want to have a discussion tonight or tomorrow if you bring your own BYOB? Or is it two? Yeah. Tomorrow. tomorrow. All right, tomorrow, probably 8 o'clock. Is that good? All right, we'll meet at the bib. Why don't you go grab some beer? Yeah, I'll do <laughs> All right, that sounds good. Yeah, and anytime, y'all, feel free to get to ask questions. The easiest way to get in touch with me is the email. I do have the code on my door. You can um, schedule an appointment there. If those times don't work, please seek me out. Um, but I, hopefully we'll be able to, in class and out of class, have some interesting discussions. Any other questions or comments? We're going we're gonna to kind of go as we, we I want you to think, be thoughtful about this, particularly when it comes to these little homilies, because it's going to be a challenge. You're going to have randomly a topic and randomly the computer's going to, ch- look, I'm going to use technique to do this, te- computer to do this, to connect uh, a gospel reading and you're going to figure it out. So it'll be a lot of fun. I can't wait. Any other questions or comments? Huh? Better, just, well, we're going to write that, better than a paper. Yes. It's always better. So that's the hope is I'll never have a paper in a class again. Huh? Well, yeah, this class, I mean, unless I end up taking over social justice, but I don't think it's happening right now. When you were just talking, I remember, um, I remember the quote from Jurassic Park, when, uh, what was his name? He's like, your scientists thought like they should do it, and your actors should. That's correct. That's right. Uh, that's the Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, we'll talk about Jeff Goldblum. Jewish scientist right there. Yeah. <laughs> the same guy who turned himself into a fly. The fly, 86? Anyhow. All right, y'all, we'll close the glory be. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. It was the beginning, is now, never shall be, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Also, two fellows I, and ladies, uh, I generally will not be able to chat too much after class because I have to go teach the first year guys for two hours now. Not important.